looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. Uh, this week, we have Dan uh, Lukowitz on the show talking about triple net leases and uh, a little bit different sector of commercial real estate than we usually talk about. We're usually talking about multifamily properties, but uh, something I stumbled upon was triple net uh, leases, something I've always been interested in. And I started to educate myself more. I uh, ran across Dan on some other podcast shows, uh, started to chat over Facebook. And uh, here we are now, we've got Dan on the show. So Dan, welcome in. You want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm Dan Lukowitz. I'm the director of the Lukowitz Group of Encore Real Estate Investment Services and really excited to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I have a team of brokers and business professionals. We sell net lease investment sales all over the country. Um, We also do a lot in the resort space, multifamily, as well as syndication and development. And I'm also the CEO of the CRE Pro Course, which is uh, a training program for commercial real estate investors and brokers can be found at creprocourse.com. That's creprocourse.com. And that's an incredible program that teaches people everything they need to know to become top commercial real estate investors and brokers. Yeah, I I love it. So thank you again for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It, it, Tell us, Dan, what what is a a net lease? Let's start there because everyone knows what apartments are, renting out residential, but not everyone's really familiar with a net lease. So let's talk about that first. Yeah, sure. That's a really good question. Net lease, essentially, we can take a look at the name and understand exactly what it is. So when you look at net lease, what what that really means is that the rent that's collected in in an absolute triple net lease from the tenant to the landlord is net to the investor. So if you're collecting $125,000 of rent from, let's say, Wendy's corporate, you don't have to pay for any expenses. So you don't pay for taxes. The tenant pays the taxes on the building. You don't pay insurance. Tenant pays insurance. You don't pay for any common area maintenance, any roof structure, parking lot or foundation issues, repair or replacement. You don't pay for that. You don't pay for management. You don't even pay to cut the grass. Um, you don't pay any of the utilities, obviously. So that $125,000 is net to you, which is in contradistinction to something like multifamily, where you might be bringing in $125,000 annually from that structure, that building, but you'll have to pay for things like taxes, insurance, management, vacancy, capital expenditures, maybe some replacement reserves. And your net might be 50% of that. So it's a very stable, well-balanced, secure type of investment. And they're becoming more and more popular uh, as we see increased volatility in other sectors uh, in, in, in the economy, as well as in you know, real estate investing as a whole. So in other words, it's really your gross rents. So let's say it's 125000 If you don't have any expenses, your NOI is 125000 Is that kind of another way of saying what the net lease Precisely. is? Precisely. Yep, exactly. That makes it super easy. So that's really uh, your take home before debt service on the property. Because again, you know, you're not paying those taxes, those insurance, the property maintenance, management, all that fun stuff. So that's pretty interesting. Now, kind of going down the line from the gross rents, no expenses. So there's your NOI. And then you look at debt service. What type of debt are people really putting on these properties that they're buying? And then let's talk about the actual property types. 
Okay, yeah. So debt service really varies. Uh, first of all, we've got a large contingent, con contingency that, that, that pays cash for buildings. And frankly, when you're dealing with like the ultra high credit, uh, super hot assets, like let's say maybe your Amazon, your Chick-fil-A's, maybe some of your, you know, leasehold interests in, 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 in uh, you know, bond, main on main pharmacy deals, credit tenant pharmacy deals. In many of those cases, the cap rates are low enough that, that you know, buying in cash makes sense. Um, you know, it happens to be that the 10-year T-bill is, is at uh, near all-time lows, the 10-year the treasury that is, and interest rates are very, very low. So typically what we're seeing when people do put debt on a property, Dante, is that they will typically, you know, it depends on the strategy, but some people will do a 40% you know, uh, a down payment. Some will do a 30%. Some will do a 23 or 25%. Really depends on the appetite of the investor and their creditworthiness and personal financial statement, tax returns, et cetera, et cetera. But like on an average run of the mill net lease deal, let's take your seven year plus Walgreens or Rite Aid, really strong performing store. Um, they're typically doing a 63 to 70% loan to value. They're doing a 25 to 30 year amortization period. And um, in many cases, there is our non-recourse, so they might have partial recourse. And, and that, that allows us as, as advisors, as brokers, and, and, and the investors to team up together to create a situation that has as much cash flow as, pos as possible for those investors. Now, that's in a deal that the goal is positive cash flow. I mean, keep in mind, there's a lot of unconventional investing methods as well in net lease, like the zero cash flow deal, in which case the investor will have a deal that has, in many cases, a coterminous loan and lease options and lease bumps. So in those situations... Um, in those situations, when that happens, when they're coterminous and you have a zero cash flow deal, you might have a loan, a debt service payment that might be 200 grand a year and your netto operating income or your gross income, I should say, is 200 grand. So you actually have zero cash flow. So there's a lot of variables for me to be able to answer that on one foot. But in general, that's what we're seeing today in the marketplace. Of course. Yeah. And you mentioned rent bumps. So I, I've, I've done some research. I've kind of realized that you know, these leases could be anywhere from five, 15 to 25 year leases with these tenants, but they have built in rent bumps of about five to every 10 years, every five years, every 10 years, maybe have a 5% or 10% rent bump. Um, is that really what you're seeing on these lease types? It depends. I mean, typically as a, as an advisor, I like to see rent bumps, especially today with inflation, you know, we're in a hyperinflationary period. That's very important. Uh, some of these tenants, you know, your, some of your dollar stores, your dollar generals typically are flat leases, typically. A lot of your pharmacy deals are flat leases, meaning no rent bumps in the initial term. Um, obviously, there's reasons why we want to steer clients to leases that have bumps in them. Obviously, I would want bumps in any contract that I have on, on, a, on an asset that's producing income. Um, some of the high credit tenant uh, you know, assets don't have rent bumps. So it really just depends on which specific asset class you're, you're looking at. Yeah, definitely. And you know, we mentioned that some investors, depending on their strategy, and we'll talk about 1031 in a second, are buying with cash. In this arena, is cash king when it comes to possibly getting a slight discount in the property? Or does it you not know, listen, really matter? Listen, cash is always king. It's always king. Okay. I, I'm a firm believer that you know, right now, cash, I think, is a losing proposition in general. Cash is trash cash is when it's less. sitting in an account. <laughs> no doubt about it. Now, now, I do keep cash available to put down deposits for earnest money. Yep. And I also keep cash available because there are situations where I can swoop in and get things for a 30 or 40% discount in general, maybe not net lease, but in general in my real estate investing, since I'm playing with cash. Now, at the same time, I think today, and, and this is a little bit un, you know, a little bit controversial, unconventional, I think debt is king. 
Debt is really king right now. Oh, I mean, of course, yeah. I'm looking at, at, at debt at 2.75, 3%, three and a quarter, three and a half percent with incredible terms, many cases, non-recourse. I want that debt and I advise my clients to get it. Obviously, we never want to be over leveraged or in a situation where we're too you know, top heavy or we can't, we can't move and react properly in a volatile market. But at the same right. time, cash sitting on the sidelines is trash because it's worth 5.3% less next year than it's worth this year. Correct. Yeah, it's true. It, you know, cash is king, cash is trash. It just depends on the situation. Like you were saying, I'm a firm believer in having some cash available. You got to put down some deposits or uh, you need some money for down payment or whatever that is or due diligence fees. But then when it comes to cash that's just sitting in your account and you don't have a plan for it or you don't plan investing it, it's really losing out on value. So completely agree with that. Um you guys, so I was looking on your website, I was listening to you on other podcasts, you guys have properties in different states across the entire country. Now, how are you guys listing in different states? Do you have brokerage license in those various states? Or how does that work? Great question. This is something we deal with in our course as well for a lot of people that are getting into the industry. So at Encore, we've got about, I'd say roughly 35 agents, we've got offices all around the country, we actually got a really strong network. So we're listing property in, if I had to guess, 45 states, maybe. There's awesome. a few states we don't do a lot of transactions in. But I, I personally have stuff in Iowa right now closing in Chatsworth, Georgia, Jonesboro, Arkansas. I've got stuff in North Bend, Colorado, Traverse City, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Royal Oak, Michigan. Um, so we're doing stuff all over there. And that's just me personally. We're doing stuff all over the country, either through our direct offices or through our network of, of partners. Okay. So that was going to be kind of like my next question too. You know, you guys have to have brokerages around the country because there's no way you can be in Colorado one day and Georgia the next to go either see a property, meet with an owner, do pictures. How do you guys handle that? I, you know, I, oh, so I always... now, now you're setting me up. Now you're right. setting me yeah. up because every, <laughs> every property I just, I just talked to you about with the exception of one of them, I've actually never been to. Yeah. That's what um, I figured. And, and, and every single one of the clients involved in these transactions that I mentioned, in, in a few moments ago, I've actually never met them. I will be at none of the closings. Um, so I'll be wherever I want to be doing my job, adding my value and the clients, the buyers, the sellers, the properties, the title companies, the, all that stuff is done in another location that has nothing to do with where I am. So it's really amazing to be able to run this operation and you know be mobile myself and, and just to be able to leverage technology to be more efficient in, in the way we do business. Right. I mean, that's great. You, you can work you can travel. You can do it at the same time. All you need is really oh, yeah. a phone or your laptop. That's the beauty of this business. Yeah. You can and I, you know, I've got, I've got four kids. I'll be in Chattanooga, Tennessee on Sunday till Wednesday. And then I'll be in, in Jersey with my kids. So I go, you know, I have the liberty to be able to go visit my children every month and then bring them here every summer and every winter. And, you know, my wife and I like to travel and I like to go to the beach a lot. So, or drive around in my cars. So, you know, that's, that's, what's amazing is that, we have the freedom through, through these businesses, we have really have freedom to do what we want when we want with whomever we want and, and to add value and have fun. Yeah. I, I think it's great. You know, I, I sit here in my office in central New York and I, you know, I'm a broker as well. So I, I sell tens of millions of dollars of real estate from my chair here. And then I also buy millions of dollars worth of real estate down South in the Carolinas. And I don't have to right. leave this chair. You know, I, I can say, Isn't that amazing? Right. I can do multi-million dollar transactions in, in my underwear. <laughs> it, it's awesome. Uh, you know, technology we can leverage today. So um, oh, yeah. talk, talk to us a little bit about uh, commission structure on these properties. So let's say I own a Chick-fil-A triple net lease and I go to you, Dan, and I say, hey, Dan, I want to get rid of this thing for $5 million. What do you guys charge uh, on a commission? Okay. So 
really it's all, and we teach this in the course too, everything is negotiable. Um, I have certain, you know, templates or guidelines that I use, at least in my mind for how I'm going to structure deals. It depends on the relationship. It depends on how many properties we're dealing with. It depends on of the course. size of the property. You know, typical commission around $5 million. Our average transaction as a, as a, as a team of about, you know, 30, 35 brokers is probably about four and a half million. My average transaction is significantly higher than that. Um, but, but, you know, let's just take a $4 million deal. You know, we're typically seeing fees anywhere between three and 6%. Okay. And it all depends on, on the asset. It, it even depends on the asset type, believe it or not. Yeah, I'm sure. And like, for example, like if I only own one property, and I said, Dan, come sell this for me. You're probably going to be around the five or 6%. But if I own a REIT and I have a hundred properties in my portfolio and I'm like, I want to get rid of 80 of them, I would imagine we'd be around that three to 4%. Am I right in that thinking? Well, you know, in, in a sense, yes. But in a sense, no, the, the real way I look at this is like, if somebody, let's say you and I are working on a $4 million deal and I want a 5% fee and you say 4%. I'm going to tell you, hey, listen, you work with Dan Lukowitz and the Lukowitz Group of Encore, you're going to get more than one or one and a half or two or 3% increase in sale price. We're going to make it easier for you. We're going to do it faster. We're going to give you more market exposure. We're going to give you a better price. So do you want to go save 1% somewhere else and get 5% less in, in, in price? Or do you want to work with us, make the right decision? Yeah. And I mean, we always say, uh, it, you know, if we can't fight for our commission, how are we supposed to fight for the value of your property? That, that's one thing we always say to our clients and they're kind yeah, of like, and, and also know, if we co with other brokers, right? <laughs> And that was going to be my next question. So you guys do co-broke. I mean, yeah, I happen to double in most of my deals, but let's say you bring a buyer that's better for my seller. I'm going to go with you. And, and, and you're going to be incentivized to work with, with my client and me in this deal. If you see a a healthy fee, no doubt about it. Yeah. Now this year, especially with Biden in office, you know, we won't get into politics here, but I, with the question mark over 1031 exchanges, whether they're staying, they're going all that fun stuff. We've seen a pickup in transactions of 1031 over this last two years here. Um, why in the triple net or the net lease area are 1031 so popular? Why do so many people put 1031 cash into your guys' deals? Oh, good question. The security, the stability, the certainty, those are all, you know, important aspects of why somebody would, would, would choose, you know, net lease. It's also easy to transact. It's scalable. You can do high volume quickly. Those are all very important, important, uh, factors. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about putting, you know, it, it's a safe spot to put your income. Not, nothing's ever recession resistant or recession proof, so to speak, um, but it's resilient in that aspect. And so, you know, when you're coming in and you're buying a multifamily property, let's say it's a 24 unit, $3 million property, and you have 24 tenants that are C or B class, and they're dependent on, you know, being paycheck to paycheck with their job, you know, they're not super credit worthy, but you look at maybe if you get, a, a dollar general or something like that for $3 million, you know, it's backed by X amount of stores, they're credit worthy yep. and they have a long-term lease. So it's a safer investment. So typically with safer investments, you have a lower yield or lower return on the investment. Let's talk about that for a little bit. I know there's different asset classes and, you know, no two buildings are alike, but what are you seeing as far as returns in the net lease area versus, you know, mm-hmm. a more hands-on like multifamily industrial self-storage? Do you want to know specifically like cap rates or what do you, what do you want to know exactly? So let's just kind of touch on everything, you know, within a limit. So let's touch on cap rates a little bit. Obviously the safer the tenant, the lesser the cap rate, I would imagine with area as well, but also the actual return on investment. If you use debt, so like your cash on cash, what you're looking at there. You know, the way that we're, 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 what we're seeing now is, 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 is that, you know, there's been a cap rate compression going on for a long time. Um, and if we look at cap rates today, you know, we can, you want me to go asset class by asset class? 
Yeah, sure. If you just want to kind of mention the, you know, the asset class w- without getting too into the weeds. Basically, so let's take it like from the, 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 the low cap rate to high cap rate. If you want to look at like quick serve restaurants starting at like the Chick-fil-A's, you might see Chick-fil-A's trading in the three and a half or three, seven, five cap range. Um, you might get things up into the four and a quarter. If you want to get into some McDonald's that are really, you know, uh, McDonald's are, are great Wendy's deals. You might be four, seven, five, five cap, you know, mid-range Wendy's deals, five and a half, five, seven, five. Smaller operators might be at six cap. Now you're going to cross into the dollar store range. So in the, believe it or not, the mid fives to mid sixes, maybe seven cap, you're looking at your discounters, like your dollar generals. Yep. Okay. You want to look at some medical office buildings, depending on the credit of the tenant, you could be around a six cap, six and a half cap, seven cap. Um, you want to start looking at pharmacies. Pharmacies can trade anywhere from, let's say four and a quarter, four and a half cap, all the way up to seven or eight cap, depending on the length of the lease and, and how the store is doing. Um, you want to get into multi-tenant, which I think is, is, that's a space that I focus on. I've sold a ton of shopping centers, um, multi-tenant space, you know, you're looking seven, eight, nine, 10 plus cap range, especially if there's some value add or deferred maintenance or under, under market rent tenants. Um, what else asset class do we want to touch on industrial? Oh, industrial. So hot. Um, just to throw some numbers out there, uh, 2020 versus 2019. And I'm super excited to see 2021 stats come in, but 2020 versus 2019, we saw 27% increase, 27% increase. And the number of square foot, foot of new leases sold uh, signed in the industrial space, CBRE came out with some incredible research in the last nine months, stating, I believe that there are 31 markets across the country, 31 markets that are poised to see a 25% or more appreciation in rental rate over the next five years. That wow. space is on fire. You know, you want to look at your corporate tenants, your FedEx grounds, your Amazons, you could be in the five caps, maybe six caps. Um, you want to go up to some smaller operators, you might be in the seven cap, eight cap. Um, but that's an asset class I would definitely urge everyone to keep their eyes on. That's something we specialize in and, and, and it's just a super exciting space. What about asset classes, asset types for you? What are your favorites? What do you like investing in? What are you bullish on? Retail repurposing. I think there's a lot of opportunity in retail repurposing. I love fast food. Um, I think that there's a lot of opportunity in, 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 in some of these tenants that are very recession resistant and pandemic proof, so to speak. I love industrial. I love um, freshwater beachfront properties, whether hmm. they're resorts or they're long-term rentals. And yeah, there's just, there's a lot of opportunity. Awesome. I like that. Are, are individuals syndicating any of these deals or are the yield too low to really syndicate and bring capital in? Oh, I just got off a call before you, before you, we spoke about syndication. We do a lot of net lease syndication. Really? And, we and- do a lot. Oh, Absolutely. I'm surprised to hear that because a lot of people, you know, they syndicate multifamily or self-storage because there's typically a little bit of higher of a yield of return there. So how are you finding? Not anymore. Groups? Yeah, it's true. It's compressed completely. You're, you're trading in the low, you know, the high three caps on multifamily and A and B class. Yeah. Crazy. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. So, so what's the typical client type look like for you? Someone that's coming to you to buy some real estate, buy some net leases. What is that client type like? It, it varies. It could be anywhere from, uh, an individual that has two or three buildings, maybe even only one building. Uh, I missed a call just now from a client of mine that has, you know, probably, ooh, if I had to guess, 3,000 units, um, you know, all different types. There's, it could be, I, I sell a lot with and for real estate investment trusts. Um, it could be individuals that are throwing 50, 100, 200 grand into a deal and syndicating it. Um, I sell a lot to my friends and family who are big syndicators or investors. And, um, and then, you know, you've got your people that are transitioning over. I've got a guy right now, great guy, family has a few hundred restaurants and they're going to be transitioning into a new space and commercial and 
I'm selling them one of my, my high ticket listings and we're going to work together on those as well. That's awesome. It's got to be fun to deal with a lot of different types of clients with a lot of different types of assets too. You know, as a kid, you know, you drive by a Wendy's, a Chick-fil-A, a McDonald's or something like that. And you're just, you never really think about like, you know, who owns it. It's probably one person that owns it and they run the business, but really it's someone else that owns the business versus someone that owns the real estate. Oh, yeah. um, people don't ever think about it. You know, people that are doing their day to day, they don't think about stuff like that. Um, how are you calculating market rents for clients? So where are you pulling your data from? Um, if I'm evaluating a, a property and let's say it's vacant, it's not rented out. How am I getting uh, the market rent? Am I looking at a rent per square foot? What are you looking at for that? So we're talking specifically in commercial and, and in net lease. Yes. Typically, the vast majority of properties that we, we transact on are occupied. So we still do market analyses to determine where they're at with market rent as, as it pertains to current rent, future rent, and, and where the market is and where it will be. So we have, I mean, I've got a ton. I spend thousands of dollars a month on proprietary stuff that we have internally with our subscriptions, as well as, you know, the major uh, database and research um, providers that are out there. But really, you know, I tell my students too, it's, it's, it's an art and it's a science. I mean, I look at the data, I look at the property, I look at the demographics, I look at the population density, I look at the traffic counts, I look at the operator, I look at the building, I look at the, the year, the renovation, all those different things. And then I, I look back at my deals that I've done this quarter and this year, and I see, you know, what do I think it's worth? What do I think the rent per square foot is? And oftentimes, you know, I have to really spend a good amount of time doing that analysis because the numbers that you're going to just get from CoStar, you know, they may or may not be accurate. They might not even be for the same type of property. Right. So, you know, that's really, that really is, is one of the main reasons that you need a broker. You know, you really need an expert, an advisor who's going to take the time and energy and leverage their experience to pull up their own comps. Because quite frankly, no one knows what my properties sell for, except me for the vast majority of them. This data is not publicly available. And in order to run those comps, I, I need to look into my own files. And more importantly, I need to look into my own experience. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And being the owner of these buildings. So, you know, if we own the building and we're renting it out to a tenant, um, we can depreciate the asset because we actually own the land. We actually own the real estate. Is that correct? We can depreciate over. Well, you cannot, years. you cannot appreciate. So good, good, good point. You said land and building buildings. You can depreciate land. Yep. You cannot. Correct. So now, now what's interesting is you mentioned that there, yes, there's a traditional depreciation uh, schedule. Okay. Um, there's a, 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 a typical depreciation schedule and that actually can be accelerated through cost segregation. And we actually advise doing a cost segregation study. If your building is, uh, let's say a million dollars or more. So a million dollars or more is kind of the cutoff where the price of the cost segregation actually makes sense to take home all that depreciation. So that, you know, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, just a general rule of thumb. There are other softwares and services that are cheaper that can underwrite, even if it's under a million, but you know, it's just, it's just something to keep in mind. There are many people that don't even, um, you know, that don't even know about it or understand it. Right. Okay. So let's say, for example, I've got a, a plaza that has some great anchor, anchor tenants in it, such as a Lowe's, a Marshall's, a Target. And then in the outskirt of that parcel, closer to the main road, um, I put a Chick-fil-A and a Starbucks or like five guys over there. I own all this land. I've got a multi-tenant lease. And when I take that land and we build the buildings for a Chick-fil-A, a Starbucks and a five guys is, are those tenants paying for the build out? Do we pay for the build out? And in that case, do we get to depreciate the actual building itself? You're saying in the example where you own the actual real estate? 
and then Correct. you're putting tenant in there. So yeah, so yeah. go ahead. So so we own we own land and we yep. take those parcels and we let Chick-fil-A come in, we let Starbucks come in, we let five guys yeah. come in, but they have to They're build it, the a building there. Okay. Yeah. So oh, oh if they build the building, now who has ownership of the building? Right. So in that in that it depends on so this is a very technical, nuanced question that I appreciate. And it depends on the actual lease agreement. So okay. if in the lease agreement, you as the landlord own the building, then yeah, absolutely. You can depreciate it. If you don't own that building and there may be a clause, by the way, that if they leave, it gets knocked down or, or there, or there's some penalty. So that you have to make sure question. that you review the lease. Yeah. But in, in many cases, when you have actually a leasehold interest, this is what I love. A leasehold interest, if you're familiar with that, is you're kind of sandwiched in between the regular lease and the ground lease. So you might, I've got a couple of leaseholds I'm selling right now. So one example in Ohio, I've got a family dollar. So if you bought the building, you'd actually own the building. Family dollar would lease from you. And then you'd pay the ground holder rent. You'd pay that ground lease. So you're sandwiched in the middle. So actually your ownership is, is non-traditional. Typically in a fee simple ownership, you would own the building, which you could depreciate. And you'd also own the land, which you cannot. In a leasehold interest, you own the building and you own no land. So it's actually a hundred percent depreciable. Isn't that cool? That is pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's very unique. And, and that's the fun part about this business is you can structure it so many different ways. There's thousands of different ways to structure it. Um, it something you mentioned that kind of caught my attention was, okay, let's say you, you own the land, you, you know, Chick-fil-A builds the building or, or whatever, and then they leave after 25 years, if their lease is up, um, do, do you have to pay a fee for the building? You, you said it has to get knocked down or sometimes it can stay. It's just you've part gotta, of the lease. You've got to look at the lease. You got to, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen deals go any, any way that you can imagine. I've seen them go. So uh, let's talk about triple net versus double net versus ground lease. What are the differences sure. between the three and, and what are people, you know, more favorable with? I kind of know the answer to this, but I want to get your input. Yeah. So to keep it simple, I like to call it absolute triple net and then double net. I don't usually use the word triple net only because on the West coast and somewhere, you know, in the Arizona areas, there's a little bit of a change in the nomenclature. And some people will call triple net. Some people will call what we know as double net, triple net. So in order to alleviate that potential confusion, I just call it absolute triple net. So absolute triple net would be NNN, right? Yep. So that means that the, the landlord has no responsibilities whatsoever. So the roof structure and parking is on the tenant. The taxes insurance are on the tenant. The common area maintenance is on the tenant. Now with a double net building, you can have different varieties of double net, but traditionally the taxes insurance uh, will be on the, on the tenant, right? Yep. Uh, but, but the roof and structure will be on the landlord. Now, sometimes it's roof structure and parking, and sometimes it's roof structure and HVAC. And sometimes the HVAC is limited at uh, replacement and not repair. Sometimes it's prorated if it's replaced in the end of the lease, things like that. So that would be double net. Then after that, you've got like a ground lease, which is essentially very different insofar as you actually don't own the ground you're leasing the ground from someone else, okay? So um, it, it, that, that would be a ground lease. A leasehold would be a sandwich in between. So you own the building, you don't own the ground. You get paid rent for the building, you pay rent for the ground. And then there's also things called gross leases, which is where essentially it's, it's, it's even less than a double net, let's say. So there could be, you know, you might have to pay for the, the utilities. You might get reimbursed. You might not get reimbursed. And then there's like a modified gross lease that has all different types of permutations of that same gross lease structure. A lot of shopping centers and multi-tenant are either on a modified gross lease or on a double net lease with reimbursements for certain things. Um, so that, that's generally how the, how the industry works. 
if, if there's one thing people can take away from this episode and myself as well, it's so important to read through the lease and understand the lease oh, for yeah. these agreements. I mean, just it, basically every question I've kind of asked or and anything you've described to us, it really circles back to the re- lease, how it's written. And that just goes to show, I would imagine, Dan, you know, having a really strong attorney that can read through these documents and translate them for you is really important for your team. Am I correct in that thinking? Oh, no doubt, no doubt about that. Yeah, that's yeah, huge. And that's why a good advisor is so important. You know, you need a broker that's going to help go to bat for you and help you understand. Yeah, I hear you on that. Now, kind of like the big question of the hour is a, a lot of people are using, you know, the term value add, value add. That's how you, you know, you, you get good yeah. returns and deals, you're adding value. How do you add value to a lot of these deals or a lot of these deals just kind of straightforward because they're already, you know, printed out for you so many years? Oh, good question. So, you know, there can be vacancy, there can be lease rollover, especially in multi-tenant. So you can add value by upping rent or by, you know, renovating the building. You can add value by actually, believe it or not, you know, I've got a background in flipping houses and single and multi-family renovation, purchase renovation, resale. And we were renovating things, right? Like bricks and sticks and paints and tiles and HVACs. Well, in that lease, we renovate leases. So you can literally do what's called a blend and extend, which I'm happy to help people with, where you actually, quote unquote, renovate the lease, meaning you renegotiate the lease. Maybe you'll drop the rent slightly in exchange for a longer lease term, which will dramatically lower the cap rate and thus increase your value. Mm. That's something you can do from the comfort of your, your, your like you said, from your chair with, with, in your shorts. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. And so it, it, it sounds like then, Dan, you know, for the listeners to really understand when you, you have a building and the lease is short, like let's say there's only two years left on the lease with the tenant, I would imagine that's lower risk that's going to decrease the property value versus if you have 15 years left on the lease, there's much less uncertainty and, and turnover and vacancy. And so therefore it adds value, correct? Yeah, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. That's awesome. Well, it, Dan, this has been great. Uh, before you go, we're going to shoot some questions at you. We ask every of our guests called the Curious Cues. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Question number one, favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Ooh, honest truth is Dan on top, man. I love danontop.com because I got great guests. Yeah, there you go. I like it. What, uh, what about favorite books? What book could you enjoy reading? Ooh, Think and Grow Rich is definitely a great yeah, book. Love Hill. that one. Yeah, yep. that is a good one. I love Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion by Robert Caldini. Great book. If you're into uh, multifamily, I highly suggest Multifamily Millions. Yep. I David think that's Lindahl. Dave yep. yep, exactly. And um, I love um, <laughs> I love books about psychology. So I really love books about that talk about uh, reparenting my inner child and, you know, utilizing like, you know, my own empowerment and enlightenment to be able to, you know, just just be, be a better man, be a better human. Um, yeah. And uh, so there's some great books. Pia Melody has some great books on that. Um, uh, Bradshaw, what's his name? John Bradshaw has some great books on that uh, about championing your inner child. I love that stuff. Yeah, I love it. Uh, biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? That would definitely be other people's limiting beliefs. Um, I've had to, and I do it less and less as I get older. Now I just don't give a shit. But I, <laughs> I used to be concerned because people who were close to me would tell me, Dan, don't do that. Don't buy that Viper. Don't buy that house. Don't don't invest in Bitcoin. You know, Don't put your money in, in tech stocks. And like I look back and, and my biggest regrets were listening to those people. Mm, so I stopped yeah. listening. Um, but, but that's been a hurdle because, you know, at this point in my life, there are people that I have to kind of like train. Okay. To understand like, Hey, I, I respect your opinion. I'm going to, I'm going to go with it a little bit. 
but we're going to show you over time why there's maybe a better way to do this. So I have more patience today than I used to. Um, that's still a challenge for me is to, to not do that deal, to not make that investment when I know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Favorite non-real estate related hobby. What do you like doing in your free time? Uh, definitely driving cars and playing guitar. Um, I also love to eat. Uh, I should weigh at least 500 pounds, but <laughs> I, uh, I love fine dining and traveling. I love it. I just, for me being out in the mountains or on the top of, you know, uh, you know snowboarding somewhere or hiking or at the beach. I love that. I love the sun. I love being outside. I, I just, I just love having fun. Yeah. I mean, it, for those that can't see the video right now, Dan's recording in one of his two Dodge Vipers, which is pretty cool and pretty unique. We don't usually have people do that. Dan, what else you like that has four wheels and a, and a steering wheel? So I love Vipers. I also, I love, I have an Audi A6 S line. Okay. It's a total sleeper. I shouldn't tell you this because people see it and they're like, oh, it's a cool, it's like a 2019. It's a sedan, not an expensive right. car. Yeah. I mean, it's nice. It's really nice, but it actually has a stage two tune on it. It's got a Wagner custom intercooler and a Catless downpipe. Um, it is faster than, than most Vipers, definitely the one that I, that I have. Um, and it is, it's four doors. I can fit all my kids in there and, uh, it's, it's, it's fun. The problem is the weather's been so nice here in Michigan, even though it's mid November almost that it's sitting in my driveway. Cause I just drive around this the Viper of my the top off all day. Uh, in fact, on Sunday, just a couple of days ago, we were in the veterans day parade in downtown Detroit. We had a we, uh, motor city Viper owners, which I'm very active in we had 11 Vipers in the parade and we were all cruising together. It was really cool. That's awesome. I love that. All right. Well, yeah. uh, last question we got here for you, newbie advice. So what advice would you give someone that's looking to get into net, net lease properties? CREProCourse.com. Go to CREProCourse.com. Sign up for our course. Learn everything you can, you can learn about this industry. Reach out to me. Reach out to my team. Learn, grow, do deals, and don't be scared. Embrace the fear as, as, as just a beacon to let you know there's something to pay attention to. At the same time, make sure that you don't miss out on this opportunity. And then take my advice. Don't listen to other people who are trying to limit your beliefs and your dreams because it makes them more comfortable. Follow your dreams, find friends, family members, mentors, and colleagues who will support you and, and just go, just do it. There is literally nothing in this world that should be seen as out of reach for you. Yeah, that's good. I like it. That, some great advice. Uh, Dan, go ahead and kind of put in your info of where someone can get a hold of you, your team, if they're looking to do some transactions with you or just kind of learn some more about what you do. How can they get a hold of you? They can reach me. I'm on LinkedIn. Dan, it's my first name, Lukowitz, L-E-W-K-O-W-I-C-Z. That's L-E-W-K-O-W-I-C-Z. You can Google me. You can put me in LinkedIn. Check us out. You know, my email address. You can check out my website, danontop.com. That's danontop.com. We've got probably 150 episodes of our show. We've got all kinds of resources, properties, information. You can email me, dan at danontop.com. That's dan at danontop.com. You can also send me a text message or call me on my cell phone, 248-943-2838. Again, 248-943-2838. If I don't answer, shoot me a text. Let me know who you are. And myself or someone from my team will reach out to you. We're here to add value. We want to have fun. We want to build relationships and help you make a lot of money. So definitely don't hesitate. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on the show and hopefully we'll have you back again soon. Oh yeah. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. 
See you next week.